Welcome to the Community Builder Podcast. The world is our classroom, and every moment is an opportunity to understand human connection at a newer level. On this podcast, we'll explore the minds of active community builders as they strive to leave their imprint on the world. Travis King. Let's build. Before we get started, we would like to thank our sponsor, Cruise Control Music, the ultimate audio branding experience. Cruise Control Music creates custom, authentic sounds and music to showcase your brand identity and is a direct reflection of your vision, goals, and values. If you're looking to start or level up your podcast experience, log on to cruisecontrolmusic.com. Thanks so much for hopping on, Ali. Hey, Travis, great to connect with you. Um, yeah, so I guess if you wouldn't mind by starting and sharing with us a little bit about your background, um, maybe some of the, a, a couple of things that you're currently excited about or what you're currently working on. Yeah, well, thank you for having me. I would definitely describe myself as a serial uh, co-founder. I absolutely love helping to start things. And that's been the case ever since I was a student. I started my first company uh, at Leeds University in the UK almost 20 years ago. So uh, some of the things that I've helped start include the UK's largest schools entrepreneurship challenge, which is now in hundreds of schools. I launched a series of privately run trade missions called Web Mission. I launched a government supported uh, with our prime minister campaign called Startup Britain with a group of others. And uh, I launched what's now a, a fully sustained social enterprise where young people fix their own youth clubs uh, and community buildings called Volunteer It Yourself. And uh, a string to my bow has always been um, helping to MC, I guess, uh, chair compare uh, live events. So I'm the host of the Great British Entrepreneur Awards uh, here in the UK, the Startups Awards. Uh, and then I sit on the board of the advisory board of various organizations, including uh, the Tech London Advocates and the Global Tech Advocates uh, around the world uh, and organizations including One Million Mentors. And I work very closely with a uh, uh, an impact business builder called Zinc as well. So I've always worn several hats. My love in life is helping get things started and uh, making useful connections. Thanks so much for that, Ali. And I guess, would you mind diving in on um, something that you're currently excited about? Like, what are you currently up to? Like, what like project? I, I know I recently saw you tweeting about the turn on the subtitles a little bit. Um, so I don't know if you want to dive into that or anything else that you're currently up to. Yeah, so that has got um, huge amounts of my um, attention and, um, and passion at the moment. This is Tot's Turn on the Subtitles. About four years ago, I discovered the work of an amazing charity uh, based out of India called Planet Read. And they have really pioneered this link between subtitles, same language subtitles, and literacy. So did you know that if you turn on the subtitles for kids TV, particularly around uh, kids of six to eight years old, you can double the literacy of the child. And that is quite literally life-changing stuff. So I don't really know why it took me uh, four years uh, to actually do something about it. I think I just sat back and, um, you know, marveled at it and said, how cool is this to some of my friends? But um, about six months ago, I thought something must be done because actually, um, regardless of the work that Planet Read is doing in India, um, closer to home, if we could inspire broadcasters and tech companies to turn on the subtitles for kids' TV, 
we could literally change millions of lives. And so the TOTS campaign was born, um, working with the National Literacy Trust, which is a hugely credible charity based here in the UK, supported by a property firm called Annington. Um, One of my old friends and dear colleagues, Henry Warren, stepping up to grip it and help run it uh, with me, Um, but really to try and map out who are the influencers in this kids TV broadcasting and uh, tech company space. Imagine if YouTube turned on the subtitles by default for kids TV. Uh, Imagine if Nickelodeon um, did the same. We could have a real impact. So it's unusual because it's a campaign of sorts, but really it's about joining the dots and making a really powerful piece of research, which is not our research, by the way, um, a really powerful piece of research known uh, to the influencers who can take that insight and do something with it. So if you begin with the end in mind, I would like Children's BBC to turn on the subtitles by default to boost children's literacy um, from there. Potentially others might do it all around the world. So, so it's a small example, but it's something that could have a big impact. And it's something I'm very passionate about because it plays right to my core passion of spotting interesting things and making hopefully valuable introductions. So that's TOTS. Oh, thanks for sharing that. That's, that's super exciting. I feel like that's, that's such a common sense thing to where I'm like, why are they not doing this already? Right. Well, hopefully we will speak in a year and uh, or less and then someone will have started it. But uh, please, do, please do spread the word. Got it. No, thanks so much for sharing, Ali. Um, and, and that leads me to my next question is like, why do you love like making these valuable connections between people and ideas? I guess, could you talk to us about some of the early connections you can remember making and what those intros ultimately led for either party involved? Yeah, I, I was just extremely um, well surprised initially and then inspired by just how willing people were um, to help me out when I was getting started. I put in a cold call to um, what at the time in my mind was the world's best known ad agency, Saatchi and Saatchi. And I managed to get through to their global marketing director. And he took my call. But not only that, he asked me to come in and see him in his office and he offered to help. And there was me just uh, you know, an early stage company run by a student or two uh, from a city in the north of England. And here was the um, head of marketing at the world's best known ad agency offering to help. And that really did open doors to their clients and to our investors. And so anyway, it inspired me to believe that if you just take a risk from time to time and reach out and send a note or write an email or even a tweet or a LinkedIn message these days, people want to help. And it kind of inspired me to believe that the world is a lot smaller than we first think and that people are much more accessible than we first imagined. So that was the first thing, the idea that these barriers that we perceive of gatekeepers and inaccessible individuals, well, they might be there, but very often with um, a bit of persuasion and persistence, they can break down. That was the first thing. And that continues to drive me to this day. I'm still always writing to people out of the blue. And now increasingly people will drop me a note about things they're doing and I can try and help them as well. The second realization was that so much of what we need to solve the problems of the world already exists. And if you believe that, then you also, I hope, can see that what we really need more of is thoughtful connections. And by sitting back and making thoughtful connections, we really can drive progress. In other words, a thoughtful gathering of people isn't then just a talking shop. It's a genuine chance to put the right people in touch with each other to help solve each other's problems and to collaborate. So over the years, some of that has led to um, you know, new businesses forming uh, for others. Some of it's led to colleagues and friends getting married. And then uh, I guess in the, uh, the heart of it for me, some of it's led to real 
new ventures and shareholdings uh, for me. Um, because very often the people I've helped put in touch have come back to me and said, look, we'd love you to be part of this journey. Um, so, so, so that's what drives it, the realization that the world is smaller than we, th- than we think and that people out there often want to help. Uh, and, and the realization that actually the big exercise is joining the dots. Got it. Yeah, no, I really, really like that. And, and I guess talking about joining the dots a little bit, I guess, could you talk to us about kind of starting some initiatives? Like, how do you like make these things aware in your mind? Like, you, do you realize that someone's working on this one thing and then you have an interest in it, but then realize, you know, this person from three years ago, like, could you talk to us a little bit about, um, like, what are some of the action steps that you take when tackling like a new problem or challenge or connecting the dots between new people? Yeah, I, I just give a couple of examples. And again, I've only ever done it um, alongside a team, a group of partners, a group of co-founders. In one example, I'd given a talk in a school. Um, it was about getting things started and I suppose business in general. And it suddenly occurred to me that actually giving a talk wasn't the optimum way to inspire students. A better way would be to throw them a real life challenge. And that very same day, I read about a vicar in a church in England giving his congregation, actually giving his congregation money. And he said to his congregation, who would like 10 pounds? And anyone that wanted 10 pounds, he gave it to them. And they had actually six months to turn it into as much profit as they could. And at the end of that six months, all the profit went to the church building for repairs and renovations. And I just thought, what a simple idea. Maybe I could do a similar event in schools across Britain. And so I called up the vicar and with his permission, um, I, I sort of had the seed of an idea. But the problem was I didn't know any schools. So I had to go to an existing organization, which was a trusted partner of mine, um, which had great relationships with schools. And that was called Enterprise Insight here in the UK. And I took them the idea and I said, why don't we do this together? And they said, yes. And um, so even then, you've just got a potential idea, give kids 10 pounds. I thought we could just do it in a month, um, maybe start with a big inspiring number. So I literally wrote on a one blank sheet of paper, 10,000 pupils, 10 pounds, one month. I thought that would um, be suitably ambitious and hopefully inspiring, but then I didn't have any money to start it. So then I organized a gathering of eight or 10 friends and colleagues for breakfast. And off the back of that, all of the guests were very helpful and supportive, but one in particular, Shah Wasman said, I'd like you to meet a friend of mine, Andrew Reynolds. Andrew Reynolds and I met for coffee And at the end of the coffee, in fact, before he'd even finished his first coffee, he said, I want to support, I will give you the money myself. So that's a slightly long story, but it's a real story about how what is now a 13-year-old initiative that has supported over 250,000 pupils here in the UK to make money and make a difference with a tenor was all started with a school, a vicar, and a cup of coffee and some genuinely supportive friends and colleagues. And um, and, and, and that is um, obviously maybe unusual. Um, But for me, quite typical, because I tend to start with a problem, then I go to people close to me, and off the back of that, they help me support. And hopefully on the flip side, I've helped support others as well. But does does that help paint a picture of a a real example? Oh, 100%. And I think it's interesting, too, that for the the people in the US that aren't aware what the word vicar is, could you, I guess, fill us in (laughs) on what that means? (laughs) Yeah, so I suppose it'd be, I'll get all the wrong words now, won't I? But a a preacher, a pastor, um, somebody standing up in church and giving sermons. And of course, this relates to a parable of the talents, doesn't it, in the Bible, when a father gave his sons, um, you know, some some money or some gold and challenged them um, uh, to do things with it. (laughs) And then look what happened. 
Exactly. So, uh, yeah, so that's an example. And, you know, um, and, and more often than not, and this is one of the reasons I quite like Twitter, because you can connect with people from all backgrounds, all industries, or many backgrounds, many industries, many professions, many locations. And the other reason I love reading newspapers is they tend to be full of quite bad news, um, which can be demoralizing. But on the flip side, um, it gives you a pretty good guide of what problems out there need to be solved. So very often when I'm starting something or helping start something, I'll read about a problem. So an example would be with my partners, Tim and Ed, uh, at the time uh, we read about uh, youth clubs being in disrepair, so community buildings in disrepair. And we just had this spark of an idea that the youth club members themselves could help to repair those buildings. And all they would need is the kit and the tools and the paint and the wood and some mentoring from local tradespeople. And to cut a very long story short, we reached out to a very generous and successful plumber and plumbing firm in the UK. We brought in a national home improvement chain. And now that simple scheme is called VIY. It's called Volunteer It Yourself. And working still with that same home improvement chain, Wix, here in the UK, um, we've done that project in over 150 locations. Uh, thousands of young people have got involved. They've all got on a qualification or accreditation through it. They really have fixed their youth clubs. They have got skills off the back. They've got work experiences and opportunities. But in a way, those ingredients were all there initially. And the spark, if you like, was reading about some bad news, which was a youth club falling down. Interesting. And and one common theme I also picked up from your um, um, love for starting things is that like you just dive right in, like you kind of just walk right up to the challenge or the problem. You look it right in the eye, and then you like start going towards it. If if I'm wrong, please correct me. But it seems like that's how you look at things. And so I guess could you talk to us a little bit about like your mindset as when you look at these problems, right? Because I feel like some people might look at these things and be like, "There's no way I could get a ten thousand kids or students together and get, find a way for them to get ten dollars." Like. That's not even in anyone's frame of thinking, let alone like you then did the three subsequent actions to drive action in that direction to, you know, now have it be alive for over 13 years. And so, like, I think that's something really valuable to, to point out. And so I guess, could you, I guess, talk a little bit about your mindset and approaching these problems? Because it's, it's pretty brave, I might say. Yeah, well, I haven't thought of it in, in that way. I mean, I think the, the truth is, I have, I mean, there was a stint for six months, I think, over 20 years ago when I worked uh, at Walt Disney World in Florida uh, in what you might call, um, you know, a, a formal role, a formal job, if you like, even though it was an international program. Aside from that, I've always been self-employed. So I've had numerous clients and partners and, and so on. But I think that self-employment has linked with a freedom um, to be able to carve out certain amounts of my time to explore new things. And by the way, I don't mean that if you have a full-time job, you can't also have side hustles and initiatives and everything else. I just happen to think that it makes it a little bit easier if you're in charge of your own time uh, to carve out that time. And then um, as, as a second observation, I just think that there are certain things very close to my heart. So the idea that someone leaves school thinking they're useless is appalling to me, is very saddening to me. Um, the idea that um, somebody doesn't realize that they can, if they want, connect with other people that they don't know in the world, I think is a, is a real shame. Um, you know, I have a natural love for helping people to get things started. So if you look at the sorts of things I've been involved in, there have been common themes. And um, 
you know, at any one time, um, things will be, you know, on my mind and I'll be brewing them as potential ideas. And, um, you know, and, and, I, and I guess that's partly why I love sharing ideas as well. So one of my ways of keeping in touch with people is if I see an interesting article or, um, um, you know, piece in a newspaper or magazine or website, I try and share it with someone because what I'm trying to do is build up uh, allies and, um, you know, just, just, just people in my network who I feel are on the same wavelength and maybe one day we could be, uh, we could be collaborators. Um, I think the other, the other thing is, and I'm not saying this is a positive or a negative, but it's just something I notice is because over the last 10 or 15 years, some of my activities have been paid, some have been pro bono, um, some I guess have been a blend because I've been starting something which has been initially unpaid and then went on to provide a salary or some dividends. Um, I don't tend to categorize very heavily when I'm starting something. And I, if I did, I probably wouldn't start things um, because I'd realized there wasn't any money in them um, for me. I just think, is this worth doing? Is it a problem worth solving? Have I currently got the capacity? And I'm obviously terribly, normally terribly deluded about that um, to, to to get on with it and make it make a start on it. And if I can say yes to a few of those, then I do it. I see. And then in terms of um, like the paid pro bono, like not categorizing these things, like what sort of categories like would you be referring to? Um, well, I mean, as as an example. Um, you know, I read about Startup America, um, which really inspired me, um, supported by the Obama White House, um, you know, funded by the business community. Um, at about the same time, I wrote to a former advisor to our prime minister, um, just suggesting we have a coffee. Um, and eight um, colleagues, um, or seven or eight colleagues, agreed to join me at that coffee. Um, and that informal gathering um, turned into um, the UK-based Startup Britain, launched by the Prime Minister less than a month later, funded by business. Now, all of my work on that was pro bono, um, but for me it didn't really matter because I was utterly passionate about it, and if you were being very clinical about it, I think you could argue that I met some incredible people through it, um, you know, which is for me what life's all about. Um, put me in touch with some fantastic um, entrepreneurs and businesses who I continue to work with to this day. Um, and so, so, so there's an example of something which on the face of it, I guess, is pro bono. I think if you were overanalyzing it, you'd call it like enlightened self-interest because, yes, you're giving your time, but there's lots in it for you, not least that it's hugely enjoyable. And, and, and then it becomes a huge source of ideas and inspiration for other things. Um, so I guess um, what, what I was very lucky to um, stumble across early on, so I'm talking maybe 20 years ago, maybe a bit less than that, but, you know, certainly 15 or 20 years ago, was that at any one time I could have certain clients who would retain my services and that would pay the bills. Um, there would be certain organizations that would pay me to do special projects and maybe host events. Um, and that would then um, give me some freedom um, to explore other things in the gaps in the time. And, and, and that's something I've, I've, I've sort of managed to continue to do. And I think if you're too obsessed, certainly for me anyway, if I'm too obsessed by how something is going to make me money uh, in the early stages, um, I find it bogs me down and it certainly slows me down. No, I think that's such a good piece of advice for so many people. And I really like how you broke it down in um, the retainers, your projects, and then the gaps. 
that, you know, could be filled. It just gives a, a nice framework for, you know, kind of, you know, having different streams of revenue and you know, different areas of focus that people can kind of wrap their heads around. So thanks for sharing that, Ali. Um, awesome. And then I guess kind of that goes into my next question. You talked a little bit about staying in touch with um, people in your community. Um, so I guess, could you talk to us a little bit about how we can enable more people to become community connectors? Um, I guess better yet, like what's, what are some of the minimal effective actions that people can take to, you know, either be a human connector or be aware that someone's trying to help connect them with someone? Yeah, I, I think there are two sides to this. For me, um, networking um, often has quite a bad name. It seems quite a dirty word. Um, for me, 90% or more of networking is about keeping in touch with people that we're already in touch with. So if you're in the early stages, you're building a network. But once you have an established network, it's actually all about keeping in touch. And so those techniques for keeping in touch are fascinating to me. One might be uh, writing to somebody if you see an interesting piece. Another might be writing a piece about something uh, yourself and sharing it with 20 or 30 people very deliberately in your network. Another technique is picking up the phone from time to time, maybe on someone's birthday or maybe because you've seen them achieve something in their organization. Um, I think the point is that what people reveal about themselves in print, if you like, so in written word, on email, in LinkedIn or Twitter or Facebook or anything else is only the tip of the iceberg. And so what you really need are, are those sort of slightly deeper conversations. And for me, those often come in face-to-face encounters. So um, so the first thing I'd say is um, think of networking, if you like, or keeping in touch is about um, the people you already know. Um, secondly, um, invest the time to get back face-to-face or certainly on the phone, but preferably face-to-face to explore those opportunities. Um, share yourself what you're up to. Um, what's coming down the line for you, not just what you're currently doing or what you have been doing historically. So you give people offers and hooks of things that they could engage with on your side. And then finally, um, ask nice, big, open questions about what people have planned in their own lives and uh, what's keeping them busy um, rather than what do they do as a job and just give them those nice opportunities to say, look, what are some of your wildest ambitions or what's this year really what would you like this year to be all about for you? And I think that will really start to flush out far more interesting conversations. And off the back of that, you can then start to think about what a thoughtful connection might be. And for me, that could be um, offering to introduce them to somebody. And more often than not, it's simply drawing their attention to something. It might be, have you read that book? Um, it might be, did you know that organization which specifically funds that thing? Or have you heard about this individual who I gather is really into exactly this subject that you've just mentioned? In other words, just by offering those, um, you know, um, clues, if you like, of helpfulness, that can be useful connecting. It doesn't have to be the literal, let me introduce you. Um, so, so, so and, and for me, that's one of the most generous things you can do, just offer helpful things that can help someone on their way. But before you can do that, you need to understand which way they want to go. I love that you pointed out understanding which way they want to go, because I, literally, I was going to ask, I was like, how do you decipher when you should or shouldn't say something? Because I know I've found myself in the past struggling with when to give advice or when to offer something that you think someone might find helpful. But in reality, they actually don't find it helpful and they don't want that advice. So I guess, could you talk a little bit about balancing when to and when not to? Yeah, I mean, I think I think I'm about to um, contradict myself in what I say here because I do ask for a lot of advice myself, and I find that actually using that word advice 
gets more powerful feedback than using the word feedback itself. So if I say, can I get some feedback? Um, I don't tend to get um, the, the the wisdom that I get if I say, can I ask for your advice? Because I think if you say, can I ask for your advice? You give them permission to really lean forward and um, tell tell you what they think. On the flip side, I don't tend to go around giving anyone advice. I do tend to give exp- um, share experiences. This thing happened to me. Um, my advice tends to come in the form, as I was talking about earlier, of saying, did you know this organization? Have you seen, um, have you thought about this? And it doesn't therefore mean, have you seen this person that's doing exactly what you're trying to do? It's often thinking of potential rhymes or similar things that might trigger ideas or thoughts. And I think I can quite quickly, well, I, I hope I can quite quickly pick up on their cues as to whether that's intrigued them or not. And, you know, if I get, a, you know, if I get a series of blank expressions, I realize that I'm not, not really on the right track. And, um, you know, maybe I can help them. Um, you know, maybe, maybe I can help them in other ways. Um, I, I feel quite strongly that I think you, you do have to be quite careful about the advice you give, particularly if it's coming from someone who is respected by the person that's giving the advice. And that's why I personally have never um, encouraged anyone to start a business, for example, because um, I think it's such a huge life decision that someone should come to on their own, probably. Um, however, if they have said, I've made up my mind, I want to start, um, then I don't actively try and talk them out of it. But I do ask what are some of the things um, that I could do to help you on your way. And one of my favorite questions is, um, who's an example of someone you'd love to meet to drive forward what you're currently doing? And people tend to enjoy answering that question as well. And that tends to lead to more interesting conversations. Interesting. Which So basically, it's like, tell me who your dream person is that would help you achieve your goal and let's figure out how to meet them is pretty much what you're saying. Yeah, and I, I find, you know, I don't know, um, it would be interesting to see the reactions you get. But often when I ask that question, I mean, I have, I have a few favorite questions. And one is, what's one of your wildest ambitions? Because, you know, often makes people smile. They're often talking about a you know huge endeavor or um, activity that they haven't reflected on for a little while. Um, so that, that is a favorite question. What's one of your wildest ambitions? Because it gives you a sense of what drives that person or what they're all about. And, 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 and another one is, um, who's an example of someone you would love to meet right now, um, particularly to take forward what you're doing? And it's amazing um, how many times you'll ask that question and someone hasn't really given it some deep thought. Um, but I love the way it gets people's minds going because, you know, um, even if they say someone hugely well-known or inaccessible or theoretically inaccessible, it gives you a clue about um, where they're going, why they want to meet that person. And so um, even if I don't know Elon Musk personally, I might know someone in a you know vehicle manufacturer based in the UK or in the US that I could help them with. And uh, it, just, it just tends to fuel the conversation. So I'm fascinated by who people want to meet. No, same. I'm actually, I'm going to add that to the list. Um, I really like that question. And I guess another, another quick question I have too, you seem like you, well, not seem like you have, you know, so much experience and so many, you know, different sorts of initiatives that you've worked on. Like a kind of, what has been the biggest misconception um, that, you know, people might think, you, you know, you don't either go through or um, like, let me back that up. Like what's been the biggest misconception about yourself um, like throughout your life so far? Well, I, well, that is a very interesting question. So, so a, a misconception about me. Well, um, I think I've often had under the surface, um, 
different organizations that I've worked with. So whilst I might have had close associations um, with um, the charity world or social enterprises, uh, government organizations I've worked with, I've also had a series of financial relationships um, and, you know, um, client relationships, I suppose, with the business world. So that's been core um, to my own financial stability probably over the last 15 or, or 20 years and so I think that can lead to a sort of misperception that um, you know I mean I, I've never um, had any um, you know inherited or family um, wealth whatsoever so I think um, that's a long way of saying that I've had to I've had to earn money every month of every year for the last you know 20 years and often the perception is that I haven't because I've just jumped around uh, doing whatever I wanted to do <laughs> Which in a way, which in a way I have, you know, in in a in a business sense. But I think you can be misperceived as um, not having to put bread on the table as well, which clearly has to come first uh, in order to free up your mind to create new things. Right. No, I think that's so important, and it's like one of those things that I feel like unless people really know or are close to you, they wouldn't really know at all. Right. I also think maybe there's, and again, it's slightly, maybe it's over self-indulgent to explore it for me to explore it. Um, there might be a misperception. I hope my persona, particularly if I'm hosting events and um, when I'm, you know, just in, engaging with people, I tend to be a glass half full person. I, I think of myself as a very positive person. I don't tend to enjoy um, confrontation, conflict, negativity. And I think that might lead some people to the impression that I don't really care about some of the greater challenges out there. However, I hope anyone that's worked with me would know, A, that I'm quite grumpy, uh, but B, uh, that I really do care passionately and seriously about those things. And I think if you're not careful, you can come across as sort of overly lighthearted or flippant about those things. But it, that doesn't, that misperception doesn't bother me so much. I think, um, you know, um, you know, hopefully if you know yourself, um, then, uh, then, then others will think what they think. Oh, yeah, I totally love that. Um, that makes so much sense. And it's just so much easier, right? Like if you're not worried about the opinions or thoughts of other people in your frame of mind, and you're focused on your goals and accomplishing whatever you're trying to crush, um, then I think that that's all that really matters. Yeah, it's a good question, though, Travis. I like it. What's, <laughs> Thank what's, you. What's a misperception about you then? Oof, that's a good one. Um, I'd say, honestly, for the people that know me, it's similar. It's uh, I'm not really as big as an extrovert as I kind of come off. I, I'm very energetic. I'm always, always speaking or wanting to learn. I'm always asking questions. Um, and so it doesn't seem on the outside that I'm like the type of person that actually needs my alone time and my space and yeah. my quiet mm -hmm. me time to relax. But I also do just as much as anybody else. And to be honest, I feel like I might need it more than some of the people who are quote unquote extroverted. Yes. Mainly because um <laughs> awesome. I feel I feel you you feel a similar way. Um mainly because I feel like I need just so much more to rejuvenate because it's it honestly you, you use a lot of energy when yeah. you're constantly <laughs> being extroverted. Well um well, 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 that's right. And, and another misperception, if we're if we're just riffing around them, is I think it might it might be perceived that I go out, uh, you know, to events every single night of the week. But actually, I have quite a rule for myself, which is like I can't and I don't go out more than three nights a week to events because otherwise I do get a bit tired and grumpy, and I find I stop having ideas and I stop feeling fresh. So uh, maybe that's a sign of getting a bit older. But uh, is uh, yeah, I, I can absolutely relate to to your comments on that. You just gave me an idea talking about three events a week. I feel like that should be 
like you should make a maximum. Like what if you had this initiative to where you couldn't go to more than three events a week and based off of your 2019 goals, you had to create a curriculum of events across the year for people that were trying to accomplish them that haven't made any movement. No. Uh, well, that, I, I like it. I'm also I'm also a bit sneaky than that though, because I said three nights, so I think I could squeeze more than uh, more than three events into that. You see, uh, but uh, I see I see what you did there. I see what you did in New York. I mean, I've seen Sex in the City. Come on. I mean, that's fair. I mean, well, that's another thing. Like being in New York, I feel like we have no excuse. But honestly, like I've I've done like this weekend was one of those weekends, or last week actually, I went to like three different. I don't know two events. I'm going to say two events. Um, but yeah, it's, you can definitely do it in New York city, but other States, like I'm from initially from Delaware and I'm curious on what sorts of events would be happening, you know, there. Right. No, no, it's, no, it's, it's a good point. We, we can be spoiled for choice. So we should, uh, yeah, embrace it, but also embrace uh, disconnecting from it as well. Right. Of course. And, um, is there anything else that you kind of like, you kind of want to get off or, or share with people? Um, or is there any, where can people find you online, get in contact with you slash see what you're up to? Yeah. yeah so very personally, I mean, I, I, I show um, all of the projects that I'm involved in, uh, on my own website, ollybarrett.com. Uh, I'm on Twitter at ollybarrett, O-L-I-B-A-R-R-E-T-T. Uh, and then, you know, I'm very proud to be associated with the organizations I've mentioned, including uh, the Great British Entrepreneur Awards, uh, you know, including uh, Zinc, uh, including the Tech London Advocates and One Million Mentors. And so, um, so I try to point to those uh, where I can as well. But no, seriously, Love and Life is connecting with people from all over the world. So, so, so please do. Awesome. And then also one last question. I was saving this one for the end. Um, but what is your victory condition for 2019 in Ali's world? Like what would make you the happiest person in the world? <laughs> um, <laughs> well, I mean, you know, questions like that remind you that, um, actually the only, um, you know, the most important things in life are your, are your family. And, uh, so I have a number of, um, you know, very, um, personal, um, aspirations about uh, you know for, for for my family's health and happiness and uh, so that you know that, that for me is the first thing I don't think that would be what I describe as my victory condition necessarily but it certainly made me very happy I think that um, in in business terms um, one thing I like about a couple of the initiatives I'm involved in including TOTS uh, the children's literacy campaign is we have a very specific goal in mind we want a broadcaster or a tech platform like YouTube to turn on the subtitles by default for kids TV. So if that was to happen, that would be a big win. And I'd be very, very happy, um, you know, um, about that. Um, for me, um, you know, that, that, that is, you know, a big audacious goal uh, that I've set myself for this, uh, for this year. Um, the other big subject, and it's very core to um, this um, show, Travis, is um, I want to get much more serious about, um, the art and science, if you like, of making life-changing connections. So I love asking people about who they want to meet. And I love either helping them to make that connection or helping to make that connection myself. So for me, another thing that would make me over the moon happy by the end of 2019 is to have had six or seven people say to me off the back of an introduction I'd either made or help them make. Um, and I have a company, the connector unit that's helping to foster that for lots of people at the moment. I want them to turn around and say that impactful introduction has changed my life. 
and I don't need to get personally involved in the ongoing um, structure of meetings. It might just be the initial spark, but for me, that would make me hugely happy, and it would be, I, I find it a very satisfying activity. So the continuing um, research, if you like, but um, exploration into impactful introductions is what I want 2019 to be all about. Thanks for listening to the Community Builder Podcast. If you received an ounce of value from this podcast, share it with your friends. Oh yeah, don't forget to leave me a five-star review. I need those. Remember, each perfectly laid brick moves you one step closer to building your community.